We're starting now in Kings 1, chapter 10, verse 1. Umalkat shva shuma'at et shema shlomo l'shem Hashem v'tavon l'nasoto b'chidot. So in English that says, Malkat Shva is the Queen of Sheba. And the Queen of Sheba, um, by the way, mo- most commentators tell us that's the air- geographical area of Ethiopia. Some say it's Yemen. In any case, this was at the time a very famous uh, person that she's mentioned in archives of other nations. And she comes now to visit Shlomo Melech. And it says she heard of his fame. Shomat et Shema Shlomo. She heard all about him. L'shem Hashem. And that part of the verse is a little bit clumsy, that it was for the name of Hashem. Where does that fit in exactly? We'll try to figure that out. And she came to test him with riddles. So we got to try to decipher why they have the L'shem Hashem. Why is it stuck in the verse? They could just say, and the Queen of Sheba came. She heard about Shlomo's fame. And she came to test him with riddles. Why do they have to put in the part that was for the name of Hashem? That certainly doesn't translate well, not in English and not in the Hebrew. So that's why we need to look at the Perushim. So the simple understanding given by the um, Ralbag, I think it's the most simple understanding given here, is that L'shem Hashem, that Shlomo's wisdom was L'shem Hashem. His wisdom was a special kind of wisdom. It wasn't wisdom like Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, just for showing off his chokhmah and his philosophies of life, but it's the kind of wisdom that brings the person to Yerat Shamayim. He brings him, it's a wisdom that brings you closer to God. True, certainly when you look at his books, you know, Mishle, Proverbs, and Kohelet, and, and Song of Songs, you see certainly his wisdom is being used here to connect the person to God, and it's all about fear of Hashem, and it's Musar, in that direction. And so therefore, his wisdom is L'shem Hashem. That's how we can understand the verse. According to the Malbim, it's a totally different idea. On this verse, he says that his wisdom was L'shem Hashem. It was a divine wisdom and not a human or natural kind of wisdom, but rather something bordering on prophecy. It was Ruach HaKodesh. It was a divine kind of wisdom. And he gives an example. For instance, when Samson gave a riddle, back in the book of Judges, he gave a riddle May from the strongness will come out the sweet. So nobody could possibly solve that riddle if you don't know what Shimshon was thinking about. Shimshon was thinking about the lion carcass that he had killed and there were bees in there making honey and that was the answer to the riddle. From, from the strong comes the sweet. But without Ruach HaKodesh, I don't care how smart you are, you're not going to be able to figure that one out. And that's where the Malbim says his wisdom is L'shem Hashem. It was a divine wisdom, a Ruach HaKodesh kind of wisdom. So let's go on in verse 2. And she came, in, she arrived in Jerusalem with a chayel, uh, with soldiers or an entourage, Kavid Ma'od, very, very large. Gmalim nosim samim, camels carrying uh, large amounts of... Um, Psamim, which are spices and oh, perfumes, and lots of gold, and precious stones, and she came before Shlomo, and she spoke whatever was in her heart. So she's coming from far away, and because she's carrying so much stuff and gifts, she has this heavy entourage with her, their arm security for the queen 
and she's coming a long way. As a matter of fact, the word coming is three times. In verse 1, you have vitavo. It says in verse 2, vitavo Yerushalayim, a second time she came to Jerusalem. And then finally, vitavo el Shlomo, she came to the palace. So this is a big uh, entourage coming to visit King Solomon. A very special trip. And it says that he told her whatever was in her heart. That's how we end verse 2. So then the Malbim continues his um, his perush that Shlomo knew what was in a person's heart. He knew what you were thinking. When they say with her heart, it really means in your mind. He was able to read her mind. He knew what was in her mind. So that would mean that's that's what it means. He told her everything that was in her heart, and so therefore this is how. By the way, the the riddles that that uh, she tested with. We have a few midrashim explaining some of those riddles. I'm not going to go into it, but I'll give one of them. It says that she brought these little kids, and they all dressed up the same. They all looked like little boys. And she said, you got to pick out who are the boys and who are the girls. And, and so Shlomo said, okay. And he ordered his servants to throw some uh, eguzim, um, nuts, on the floor. And he knew from the way they picked up the nuts, who were the girls and who were the boys. That the boys stood up and, bowed down, and bent over, and the girls bowed down to it. They crouched more on their knees to pick up the nuts and that's when we knew who was a girl who was a boy there's a whole bunch of other riddles in any case some want to bring the idea of maybe today it's a relevant idea today we have this blurring over of the genders you know Every, a boy's a girl a girl's a boy and Shlomo is f- figuring it out there is a difference between boys and girls it's a big chidush today okay so it says in verse 3 and, and she told Shlomo everything Nothing that was hidden from him. He knew it all. Nothing um, that she spoke to him, he could not tell her. And again, so that's where the Malbim says, we're talking about Ruach HaKodesh, that even though, and the, the Malbim explains it, that sometimes what's in your heart, when you express it with, your, with, with words, it doesn't really come out what was truly in your heart. But Shlomo was able to understand from the words what was in the person's heart, just from the words, and and therefore he had this special chachma, and it says in verse four, So in verse four, not only did he see the his wisdom his chachma, but the palace he had erected, habayit, that, that that special house that he built that we read about earlier, she was obviously very impressed by the the the, the architectural structures and the huge uh, buildings that she that he that he, that he erected, and uh, the brilliance of the architecture and so forth. And the wisdom behind that. And, and in verse 5, there's more things to impress her. Umachal shulchano. And the food that was on his table. And umoshav avadav. And the um, seating of his servants. Umamad meshatav. And the station of his attendants. Umabushehem. And their uniforms. Umashkav olato. Umashkav. And also the uniforms of his copper bearers, the ones who brought drinks. So, she's being impressed by the order. When they talk about the way that the servants were dressed, she's talking about the impeccable order and hierarchy of how all the servants and attendants of Shlomo, how the whole thing was organized. It showed a brilliance in organization. And that's impressed her. The Ralbag adds something else, that when it talks about the ma'achal shulchano, the food on his table, the Ralbag says that it was called baderach mazon valderach refuah. That the food, it wasn't that it was in abundance. When, when you think of Shlomo, Shlomo's meals, we think of an abundance, you know, some amazing Chinese food or something. No. According to the Ralbag, it was healthy. 
it was derech rifua. Interesting. So that's again we mentioned that Shlomo had uh, cures through food and and flowers and plants for all kinds of illnesses, and she saw that as well. That's how the Ralbag understands the the uh, the food that was on his table. She was impressed with. And it says at the end of the verse, something else she saw. And what else did she see that impressed her? The passageway which ascended to the Beit HaMikdash. He had a special passage going from his house to the temple. That was mentioned in, in Chronicles. It was a special structure that was built. So this was obviously very, very impressive. And it says when she saw that, that special passageway, also leading to the Beit HaMikdash, this amazing corridor, she had nothing, she had no wind left in her, which is another way of saying that she was totally, totally overwhelmed with all that she saw there. So in verse 6, what does she say? And she said to the king, It was Emes, what I had heard, in my land, al va'al It was. It's true. All that I heard about about your words and your wisdom. Verse seven. But I never believed it. Ad she until I came and saw it with my own eyes. And even half of it, what I was told, isn't true. Hosafti chokhmah. In other words, it's twice. It's much more than I thought. Hosafta chokhmah v'tov. Your your wisdom exceeded, and your goodness exceeded the shmuah, the rumors. Ashashamati. In other words, usually when you get a rumor about something, it's an exaggeration. When you come to the see the reality of it, it never quite lives up to the rumor. But she's saying in in this situation, what I heard was even was not even half of what was. Really, was reality that you've added on the rumor much more. The rumor was nothing compared to what the reality was. And then she says in verse Chet, Ashrei Anashecha, praiseworthy are your people. Ashrei Avadecha, praiseworthy are your servants. Elomdim Lefanecha, those who stand before you and serve you. Hashomim et Chochmatecha, that merit to hear your wisdom. And that's like anybody who's around the Rebbe, around a, a smart, great Rebbe, certainly it's a big schut to be around such wisdom. So she says, praiseworthy. How lucky are those people. That's her expression of joy. Ashrecha, expression, a kriya of joy. Calling out that, wow, it's people who can be around you to learn from you, to hear your wisdom are really lucky. And she says now in verse 10, and here we have an expression of Kiddush Hashem, the sanctification of God's name. Yehi May your God be blessed. Who wants you, who has chosen you. To put you upon the throne of Israel. For Hashem must love the Jewish people forever. Everlasting love he has for the Jewish people. That he has established you as king to do mishpat and tzedakah, righteous and justice, which we know is the, the role of the king, lasot mishpat that's right, that's what we say about David as well, and she says that Am Yisrael is really lucky to have you as a king, and Hashem must really love his people to make you uh, his, uh, to make you his monarch, to, 
to be the monarch of the Jewish people, someone like you. And then we see this Kiddush Hashem, and and of course that's really the the goal of Am Yisrael, and we see it being coming to fruition here, in the days of Solomon, that the the the, the nations come to Jerusalem to see the Torah in action, live in action, to see how the Torah works, to see how the Jewish monarch functions, and this is the ultimate example of light unto the nations, or Goyim, and that's what we have here in this chapter. Um, what's interesting is that how are we supposed to get to the Goyim back in the days of the Bible? All the point of being light unto the nations is that you have to advertise, you have to have some kind of way of getting the word out. And in those days, it was very hard to know what's happening from one, not, only, not only from one country to another, but from one neighborhood to the next neighborhood. There's no technology there. There's no walkie-talkies and radios. And So how do you get the word out to be a light into the nations? And so we see that the Queen of Sheba, she came. It says that if you look at the chapter before this, at the end of chapter 9, that, they, that uh, Solomon and his servants came to Ophir. Now, it, they say that from Ophir, she had heard about Shlomo and Jerusalem. And that's how the Queen of Sheba got onto this. And so we see that it was through commerce and trade that that was the contact, the, con- the contact point where the nations of the world would meet Am Yisrael. As a matter of fact, it's, you can see in the bracha to Zvulun, if you go back to Moshe Rabbeinu's bracha to Zvulun, when he's giving a bracha to Zvulun and Issachar at the end of the Bible, at the end of the Chumash, and he says the following, Uzvulun omas smachs so it says, Rejoice, Zvulun, in your excursions, in your going out, and Issachar in your tents. In other words, Zvulun was the businessman. He went out in the ships, on the sea, on business. And Issachar was learning Torah in the tents. And what's the next verse? Amim har yikrau. The nations will assemble at the mount. Sham There they will slaughter offerings of righteousness. So what, what is this suddenly that the, the nations will come to the mount, will summon, be summoned to the, to the Temple Mount? So again, we see that because Vulin was involved in commerce and trade, that's how he came into contact with the Gentile nations. And the nations, the, the nations of the world got to see, wow, the Jewish people are really something special. They're humble, they're righteous in their business dealings. I want to know more about this, Am Yisrael. And they get to see a Torah society when they visit the Jewish people in Jerusalem, the Am Yisrael and Eretz Yisrael. And that's how they came into contact with uh, the Jewish people in the land of Israel. And that's how we were able to be led into the Goyim. Today, where the world has shrunk so, so in, in such great measure, where we know exactly what's going on in another country, immediately through the technology, through the internet, even before that when they had the CNN and the BBC and we we have this one global society here with one small world, we can see why today is the days of Messiah, why this is the beginning of the redemption period, besides all the other reasons where the Jewish people are coming back from the exile and so forth. And But and the, the, the fact that Kiddush Hashem, the sanctification of God's name, could be so immediate, it could be so quick now, because the world has shrunk, that everybody knows what's going on, and the Gentile nations can choose 
to reject Hashem and the Jewish people or to accept God and the Jewish people. They have the opportunity to decide now something they never had before. Somebody in Singapore, way out there somewhere, he knows what's happening and he can decide. He has choice now. So certainly that's one of the reasons that with the technology we have today that Hashem has brought in this time the days of the Messiah. On the other hand, it's a twofold thing. Because of that technology, man has got so arrogant, he's become so haughty that, wow, look what I can do. Look what I've invented. I can get from one side of the world to another. I know what's going on. I can split the atom. I can create people. I can. All that's happening in science and technology has, has caused man to think that he's God. And for the first time in a, in a hundred years, we have, or in the last hundred years, we have a concept of people who don't believe at all. Atheism. There was never such a concept of atheism. People always believed in something. Man believed in a higher, higher power. It might have been wrong. It might have been idol worship and paganism, but he believed. Today you have a situation where people don't believe in, millions of people don't believe in God at all. They believe in man and man's, uh, man's um, knowledge and, and, and progress and so forth. And so certainly all that points to the direction where the Messiah is coming. It's the beginning of the redemption where Hashem will have to bring down the Hori. He's going to have to show the world, indeed, there is a God and there is an Am Yisrael and the other chosen people and Torah is the right way. So certainly this is a time for that with the world so shrunk, with the press of a button. Everybody knows what's happening all over the world. We're certainly living in Messianic times. So we go now to verse 10. V'titen lemelech me'a v'esrim kikarzahav. So she gave the king 120 talents of gold, which is about, according to what I read, three and a half million dollars. <laughs> and lots of spices. That's what they specialized in, where she's from. Me'od, the Evin Yekara, and precious stones. Never so much, such a quantity of spice came in to the Jewish people, to Eretz Israel. When, since Malkashva came to Melech Shlomo. I mean, when she came and gave that, those spices, the, the verse says that never again such a large quantity of spices entered the land of Israel. So she gave gifts. And so you realize that this, this kiruv that Shlomo does with the nations, he, sure, he's bringing them close to Torah, but there's also a big amount of, of economic pros, prosperity that comes out of it. So he's, it's also... He's uh, financing his empire and enriching his empire through the nations, not only Kiruvim to Torah, bringing them closer to Torah, but he's also getting rich from it. And there's a lot of commerce going on between the nations as well. So now we go on a little detour from the Queen of Sheba, and they take us now to verse 11, and they talk about Hiram again. And the boats of Hiram, which carried gold from Ophir, Hevime Ophir, Atse Almogim. They used to bring this almog wood. Now, Rashi says almog is coral. That's what he says here, coral, which is something that's in the ocean, but it also becomes a tree and it's, you can make wood from it. Atse almogim. We'll call them almog trees. So he brought from this place, Ophir, lots of almog trees and lots of precious stones. And from these almug, this special wood, which is obviously something very, very rare and special, he made pillars for the temple. 
and for his house, Lebet HaMelech, the Kinorot. And there he made the frame for the harps. If you look at a harp, the musical instruments, and Nevalim, other instruments, the 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 misgeret, the framework of it, the the wooden frame was made of this almog wood. So he made all that out of almog wood, all the instruments. Never was there so much almog wood in Israel ever again. So we have these verses of tremendous um, prosperity and affluence. And now it goes on in verse 13. So now Shlomo gave her back as a gift. He reciprocated. All that she desired. Whatever she asked for. And as much as the generosity of Shlomo could give. In other words, things that only he was able to provide for, being King Solomon. And she turned and she went back to her land, her and her servants. So why do they have to say she went back? Well, in case you thought she married, might have stayed on and became a convert or married Shlomo. No, no, she went back to her land. And the Malbim says this to tell us that um, Shlomo uh, was, so, was so popular that she came just for that visit. She wasn't on the way to another place, but she made this long, long voyage just to see the Jewish monarch in Jerusalem, and that was a special trip just for that. So we're going to stop here, and we'll finish chapter 10 next time. We're going to talk about Shlomo's throne and other, some, some of the extravagant things that Shlomo had in his kingdom.